Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello, uh, this is Scott Livingston from Leave Your Mark, and today I'm uh, honored to be speaking to Scott Moyer, who's an amazing human being. The main reason I've asked him to come on Leave Your Mark is not because of his accomplishments, but because of who he is as a person. He carries himself with humility. He is a friendly and caring about everyone he meets. And if he knows you, he always takes the time to make you feel his connection. He is a proud Canadian. He, along with his partner Tessa, have won all there is to win in ice dancing. Most recently, two gold medals at the Olympics in Korea. They are considered by many to be the best of all time. And yet when you meet him, you are nothing but impressed with the way he carries himself and how he treats you. I'm honored to spend some time with him today. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Scotty. I don't know how to follow that up. Oh, I love, <laughs> I love when I do. Inter- I, I love when I do intros Jeez. that that, that uh, hit the person. In the- now I'm hoping I do a whole interview that has no humility in it at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm changed I'm, since then. I hope two I don't months ago. humiliate you. <laughs> so I know you love the Leafs, mm-hmm. um, but who's your favorite Leaf of all time? Leaf of all time, Wendell Clark. Why? Uh, I just like the way he played because he's kind of all around. You didn't know whether he was going to score a hat trick or fight Bob Probert or he just played with that edge. And um, it's, it's also, I think, a lot to do with the time uh, that you kind of fall in love with the sport. For me, I was a young boy when Wendell Clark was the captain. So uh, it was very natural that I kind of went towards um, – liking Wendell Clark, Doug Gilmore, Dave Anderchuk, like that was kind of my era when I first started. And, um, you know, it never gets better than that. I don't think, uh, even with Austin Matthews, I mean, this kid is probably going to be the best leaf ever. And, uh, it just doesn't have the same connection to me as Wendell Clark. <laughs> <laughs> as when you were a boy. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about them? They're doing, they're, done yeah. well, they're doing great. Special I mean, team right now. Yeah. They're a special team. They're going to be tough. Uh, they're missing some big pieces still, but, um, you know, we're at least fans, this Tessa and I both, and it's just nice to be able to go down to the ACC and have them in it a little bit, you know, like it's been, it's been a long, hard road here these last 10 years or so. So, uh, but we, we're friends with, everyone knows about kind of our friendship with, with Mike Babcock and, um, you know, even, even with Brennan Shanahan and they've always been so great to us. So it's been fun to kind of get to into the rink a little bit more now when we're in, even in the last two months, since we've been retired, we've been there a couple of times. So look forward to seeing them do some things, but they're farther away, uh, probably than they want to be at this point, but at least they're always in the game. They're so explosive, uh, offensively, you know, uh, Mike relatively well, you've kind of <clears throat> bounced into him. What, what impresses you about him? I, I, what I like about Mike is 
that there are no secrets um, for him. Uh, there's no secret to success. You know, he is his big thing is living by the code. You wake up every day, you try hard, um, you, you dedicate yourself, you care, you go home, you love your family. You know, it's a very simple formula for him, uh, but he follows it relentlessly. And if you give him, uh, from what what our discussions have been, obviously, I've never played for Mike. I've never. We'll never pretend to know him in the way that his players do, but from from what he says to me, you know, he, if you give him everything you have, he's going to take great care of you. What's what has uh, been a powerful conversation you've had with him? Do you remember something that? You yeah, the biggest thing that I'll always take with me for the rest of my life um, is when Mike said uh, to me, uh, he said, "The scariest thing about life is you can have everything you want." And, uh, just to, to kind of go for that and not shy away and not to, to limit yourself. And, you know, even as a young adult, uh, at that moment, uh, this was after Sochi, uh, we had already won an Olympics. I had, uh, was silver medalist in, in Sochi. And even then I was, I found in, in parts of my life, I was putting limits uh, for no reason. So that kind of opened it back up and allowed me to kind of chase after a couple of things I hadn't been. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you find, um, yeah. What is, what is for you easy to do and what is for you hard to do? That's a good question. Uh, and it's changed as, as I've kind of gone on uh, early on as a, as a male uh, in my sport, I struggled a little bit with self-confidence and I don't think that'll read in the way that many people would think it's, it's more about how when I start or when I started on a new project with choreography or with movement, I was never trained to dance. I was never trained to move in a specific way. I'm more of a feeling person. So as I was young, I was always really insecure about, about the first thing that was going to come out of my body. And I knew that it was going to be compared to Tessa um, because she was right beside me. And most of the time nailing it right away, um, actually all of the time nailing it right away. But that kind of changed as I got older and, and now mostly uh, the thing that I'm not so good at would be controlling my emotions, Mm. Um, making sure that I'm using it in the right way. It's also, I think what makes me a very powerful athlete, very powerful performer, Uh, but it it can be my worst enemy if I let it get, get in the way. Uh, But I, my strengths are, I'd hope that my strengths are personal connections. I love people. You know, I love, uh, I like right now we're on tour. Um, I like making connections with, the crew, uh, the, the person who does wardrobe, the person who's doing the lights. Um, I like creating that family and that, that kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, culture um, and, and pushing that kind of being the team captain. Uh, that really motivates me. I'd, I'd rather do that than I'll do. I'll, I'll help other people before I kind of help myself, I guess. Is that an energy in for you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. What's an energy out for you? Energy out for me is, um, huge is, is when people don't respect each other's time. Mm. Um, a huge energy out is, is when we're just kind of going through the motions. I can't, I can't do that. And most of the times I will, I will kind of snap, but I don't have too many energy outs. Um, I, I just need to make sure I check in. Like I have a lot of energy to give, but I have to, I have to make sure I take care of myself. I, I spend time with my family. I spend time at home um, or else I do run out of gas. That's so who in your family uh, is is a grounding point for you? Is it mom, dad? Is it? Uh, well, I'm I'm super. I'm really really fortunate. I think the grounding point for me uh, has always been my brothers. I'm the youngest of three. Uh, 
and I'm very, very proud of my brothers. They're both firefighters. They were kind of in the sport. Um, well, not kind of, they were in the sport, but never really to the level that I pursued. Uh, yet they never, not that they didn't care about how I was doing skating cause they did. And they were so supportive, but I really needed to rely on them for just being my brothers. And they were always there for that. And I always felt like they had my back no matter what. And how important is that in life when you can walk out the front door of your own house and know that no matter what these guys have your back. That was mm-hmm. huge for me. Mm-hmm. Well, one of your brothers competed fairly significantly in ice mm-hmm. dancing. Was that an influence in you? Was Absolutely. Was, was the- yeah. I think that's when I kind of clicked for me that, whoa, like I could do this and then travel the world. And for him, that was a big part of it. Um, he was on the, the junior circuit and, and a little bit on the senior circuit, but he talked a lot about the connections that he made, the friendships, uh, how neat it was to travel to Europe and meet people from America, from Asia, from Poland and, um, and have a great time. And, you know, that's kind of, I think what kind of drew me into the sport. I thought, oh, okay, if I'm successful a little bit, then I will get to go to Austria and I'll get to go to Croatia and, and Japan and, that was kind of the first thing um, that hooked me. And then once I got to these competitions, it didn't take long before I just wanted to win them. (laughs) I I want to broach broach one topic with you. That's probably a little bit uh, difficult to a degree, but it's, you know, ice dancing is not something that, you know, most guys when they're kids kind of look at and say, that's what I want to accomplish or do. Right. Right. But for, yeah, what I, the reason I want to bring this up is so for young people, people who are listening and stuff, how you kind of managed, what is the perception of that versus your character, your, you as a man, et cetera. Yeah. And, and now I think in some sense, it's probably you being successful and is a really powerful thing for some younger person who wants to do that. So how did you manage that in, growing up in a sense? Well, that, that took a long time for me to, I think, fully understand. And, and it's only been probably in the last four years that I um, have truly started to be more comfortable with it. But at the beginning, it wasn't typical like people would think. Um, I played hockey and I skated and um, I never got bullied in school. Um, I mean, there was teasing amongst friends, uh, but all of my buddies and, and my, and my good friends have always been really supportive of me being a figure skater. And I, I look at some of the teasing and then the bullying that happens in school and, and, it breaks my heart, but I can honestly say I've never really had to go through that to that extent because my friends did it for me. Uh, I had really great friends and they were allowed to tease me and I tease them about, you know, stuff. But if, if somebody who wasn't one of our friends said something, then there was a real problem. And, and I always kind of respected that. The other thing I had going for me is that I did play hockey with these guys. So they could make fun of me for being a figure skater all they wanted, but they knew that I'd be playing <laughs> on the first line. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd be playing on the first line against them or with them that night. And they'd be sitting on the bench watching me go. So they kind of understood that skill. And I was never that great of a hockey player, but I could always get to where I needed to be and was a good playmaker and a competitor. And, and that's kind of the, the very, the very beginning of it, but mostly with my image kind of, as I came up, I always wanted to be known as this hockey player who figure skated. Mm -hmm. And I thought that my goal in life or that because I went to figure skating, I kind of given up on my dream to, to win the Stanley cup. When I was a young boy, I wanted to win the Stanley cup and be Joe Sackick. Like that was pretty much it. And it took me a while to realize that that actually wasn't my passion. And that wasn't what excited me. Um, when I look back now, I see the way I feel when I perform with Tessa, the way I feel when I'm doing new choreography, doing a dance doesn't add up and doesn't 
isn't as fulfilling to me as playing hockey or winning hockey. And I know that I never did it at that level, but even at a young age. Um, so it took me a while to kind of break the mold of what I thought was socially acceptable or what I thought was, was supposed to be normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was very interesting for me because now when I look back, I, I love to dance. Like I love to dance. I love to move with Tessa. I love to be out there. Um, these last two years of, of performing have been very fulfilling for me because I've, I've really connected with the material and we're, we're kind of taking that into touring, but it took me a while to admit that kind of to myself. So that was an interesting journey. And, um, and now because I've done that, I think it's made me a more powerful performer, but what would you say to um, a young person who's maybe dealing with some resistance around inside themselves about reaching that because of some of those social things, what would you say to them in terms of maybe, maybe helping them pass that? Well, I would say that, I would, I would push most young people to be interesting and to not fit into the mold. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it is tough, especially tough when, when you're in the school system, when you're, you're in this little world um, where the, the kind of the peer pressure can become overwhelming, uh, but it's a huge world and, and push yourself to be interesting and follow your passions because there are tons of people who are into the same things as you. And, and it's really about what makes you happy. Um, so it's, it's really, really tough, but you know, those interesting people are, are the ones who rule the world in the end. Mm-hmm. I believe that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that. You um, were kind of, I guess, forced in a way because of what you were doing to leave home kind of earlier than mm-hmm. most kids would. How, how was that hard and how was that easy for you? Well, it was easy for me because I knew it was necessary in order to accomplish my goals. Um, even as a 15 year old, um, cause Tessa and I first left home when she was 13, I was 15. We got third at, at, at the novice nationals and I didn't want to be third at the novice nationals and we wanted to move into junior and we knew that we had to train five days a week and we couldn't live at home anymore. So it was, it was an easy decision. Um, I mean, I didn't re I, I think I did realize, but I didn't care that it was going to, costing my normal high school life was per se, I guess. Um, and then I wasn't going to do prom. I wasn't going to be able to go out Friday, Saturday, you know, be a normal high school kid. And, uh, that didn't, I didn't care about that. And I said, Oh, I guess I don't. But, um, once I did move away, um, in the tough days, I always had a very supportive family and it was, it was tough to, to be away from that, to, to not be, there um you know when my brothers are getting engaged married uh having kids that was the tough part about not being away from home but i've always got that great support and i i really just make sure i take advantage of the time that i get uh, when i am at home and but the the it's been worth it i mean i i don't know what it is about me i i think i would have left home early no matter what um how did you keep um, connected to, like, cause you talk about your good buddies and stuff. Yeah. How, how did you foster uh, good relationships that you still carry today? What's interesting about me is I went to uh, my high school that I still consider my high school only in ninth grade. Um, Medway high school, which is at home and all of my good friends, all my best friends um, from that part of my life. I still have friendships with today. We have a really tight group of guys um, and girls for that matter. And, I don't know. It's just people that I, that I kind of connected with. And I was lucky cause it was only an hour away. So I would come home on the weekends and I, whenever I wasn't competing and I'd try and work on those friendships, but I actually think I owe that to my friends. Like they, 
they understood that I was trying to do something. They always supported me and um, they always understood. I never, I can't remember getting backlash once because I couldn't make something or um, they understood. And I've, you know, I miss best friends' weddings and, um, you know, their, their kids getting born now and, and they just seem to understand, which uh, is something I don't want to make a habit of, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> I think it's acceptable for what you're, <laughs> you're doing. I'm going to read you something. There's a book I fell in love with a number of years ago called The Day You Were Born, and it basically combines numerology with astrology, and I fell in love with it because it connected me to my purpose. Mm-hmm. And so in that, it talks about the, the day you were born and, uh, and basically gives you a purpose statement. So I want to read it to you. To use your acute sensitivity, feelings of difference, and fears of abandonment to gain insight into yourself, become creative, and bond with others. Pretty cool. That's crazy. (laughs) And there's there's usually a tagline that goes with, the spiritual self must never lose its sense of utter dependence on the invisible. Carl Jung, who is a famous psychologist, wrote. uh, I love that. And you know who you you are? You're... you're, um, certain sign aligns with other people's signs you you align with michael jackson really yeah that's hilarious we're doing a michael jackson thing in this too yeah that's very cool i mean i think i'm i think i really underestimated what that feeling of performance and creativity means to me and to have that outlet um and it is i mean we are so lucky to have had the support uh, our whole career but it's a different type of fun. Um, it's not like the fun you have when you're relaxed, hanging out with your friends, but I have no other rush that is like the rush in my life when I either stand in my opening position or stand in the tunnel right before I go out. And that's what I live for. Um, and I know what to do when I get into the position, but I love that excitement. So it's kind of interesting. You, you, you exude a certain level of creativity, which is very cool. And I remember watching the documentary on you guys before the Olympics on, uh, Roxanne and I could see you know what it meant to both of you but but to you especially as well um tell me about the creative process for you what how how do you uh come up with something does it sort of just ping you in the head one day or you what 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 is that process I'm more of a I think I need to be inspired a little bit before before I can really find my stride um but I plant seeds and and now I've learned kind of that there's not a bad idea. You know, it's, it's, you throw kind of ideas onto the table and the best idea wins type thing. And, um, when I start to create or because a lot of the stuff that Tessa and I do, we do as a team, we can collaborate. So in some ways we rely on each other. Um, I feel like I'm kind of just picking through the ideas and, and, and highlighting the best ones. And, um, for me, I love, I love Tass. I love watching her move. I love how she, like she's a magician. So it's very easy to watch her do something and pick. It's very natural. Uh, but when I'm creating or getting into the headspace of a character, um, I like it to be real. Uh, I, I do a lot of the programs that we've done have been kind of based on my own experiences. Um, not in the way of method acting or pretending, but more so, and putting myself in that position. If I want to be jealous, remembering what it's like to be jealous and, and really understanding why. And that's a big part of me um, coming to terms with my character. But other than that, I think I've been a little bit blessed with the fact that I'm emotional. Um, I've always loved to tell a story and act. And I bring as much energy as I can. Uh, and I've always been the guy that when I 
give a hundred percent and kind of go over what I think would be seen as over the top is when Tess goes, yes, that's it. I love that. Give us that. What's the, what's the, um, difficult side of being emotionally connected to what you do? Um, the difficult side is understanding the yin and the yang, I think is, uh, cause that, that takes, it takes energy and there will be a time when you, when you come down. Um, and also collaborating is, is huge. And that's pretty much like, I don't, I don't create alone. I don't wish to create alone. Um, I love when, when Tess and I do things together and we love when we work with a professional that can bring something different and bring, you know, pull little strands of hopefully brilliance out of us. And, but it's a good question. Oh, I know that working with um, is Marina, right? Uh, that you guys were mm-hmm. with, was, there was some difficult times in that. What What did you learn from her that was uh, that was positive about about yourselves and yourself? Um, well, there was there was a lot of difficult times, and when we when we look back at it, I think now it was it was her trying to to help us mature, help us grow up, um, in 20 or well, 2010, but also 09 and 08, like it was there for us. You know, she just almost told us exactly what we were going to do and helped us create as well. But she choreographed most of the programs when we started to mature and have more input that worked. But then I think in the last year we expected a lot more input. We expected it to be very similar to 2014, but because we didn't get that input, we had to be independent and we had to go kind of down that path of maybe having some material that we didn't like, but we wouldn't have had our 2018 material if we didn't have the 2014 experience. Mm-hmm. And we were very, very proud of the performances we had, maybe not so much of the program, uh, in particular the free dance, the short dance we, we really liked in 2014. Um, but we needed that. I mean, it was all, and we created it all. And we're very, very proud of that. Is, is this Olympics, the two performances, the most empowering performances of your career? Or were there I think so. Yeah. And, and not for the reasons I don't think people would guess. I, like, I'm not so sure that they were, well, yeah, they were our best performances, but what we're most proud of. And I talked a little bit about this with Tessa uh, not that long ago is the fact that we were able to capitalize when we were completely trained. We've had in 2010, we were trained well and we were in great skating shape, but Tessa was very much still injured. Uh, we were in Canada and there was a, there was some sort of energy that lifted us up, you know, got us past her legs being sore. And Tessa kind of just willed her way to the finish line. And in 2014, we had a bit more down to a science or what we thought was um, mechanically moving well, didn't quite have the programs performed well we had trained well but they just weren't up to the the level this year um we were so ready i I don't know it's very neat as an athlete to look back and and wonder what we could have done differently and actually not have an answer um we we left no stone unturned we really were trained we committed to absolutely every part of it and that was exhausting at times but standing in that opening position the only thing we felt was pressure to not perform like we had the thousands of times before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was really cool. And we did execute and that's what we're proud of more. So is that training before. What I asked this question, Mick, um, and I'm curious how you, you feel as well as 
It's very, you know, in society, it's, you often have, Hey, that's the best pizza. That's the yeah. best restaurant. That's about, <laughs> but you know, that's always somebody's opinion, right? Yeah. But you, you compete in sport and there is a best, there is a, a moment of best. What does that feel like in the sense that you know that you are the best at something in the world? Is that, what's the weight of that? And what is the exuberance of that? Well, we have felt, we felt both. Okay. I mean, I think at, at an early age, we felt the weight of it as pressure to repeat or pressure to prove that it wasn't just lightning in a bottle. After 2010, the most pressure we felt was at a summer competition the next year. And we felt like we had to prove to everybody that the Olympic champions were in the building and that they brought a special, something different and we were going to be untouchable forever. And that was just such an unrealistic energy and not where we were skating, even at the Olympics the year before, like we never stayed with that energy. So to try and figure that out, it was really difficult, but Marnie McBean is, is one of our greatest mentors and we've leaned on her a lot in our life. And her point was that you've won the Olympics. Like they can never take that away from you. And now that we're older, I mean, we were so happy about winning this games, but we know there'll be someone who comes along and, and it's a personal journey. I really believe that. Like I, it was nice to win the Olympics, but it's kind of just a measuring stick. If we'd have had those performances and come second, it's not quite the story that you want to read in the papers. It doesn't help Canada's medal count. And we want, we always want to bring that medal home for Canada, but our journey would have been the same. And our journey would have been for us as athletes and people just as beautiful. So I think that's a really important piece to pick up from actually. Yeah. We just kind of let we now we've won. We kind of, and people say, Oh yeah. Like you just don't seem to, he just seems so down to earth. Well, it hasn't changed us. Mm -hmm. Like I would really hope that it hasn't changed us. That's awesome. Cause I was going to play off of that because one of the things in my learnings most recently um, is a, is a concept that is, have, was taught to me as we call object reference versus self reference okay. and object reference essentially is this concept of being focused on just on a goal right. on achieving something and not necessarily connecting to the process of getting there. And so a lot of times in so society today, we're like, I want that car. I want that. I want that medal. I want that job. I want. And so people go after that. And two things happen. One is either you don't get it. And so there's this kind of loss of sense of, of self. You're, 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 you're despondent because you didn't get it or you, you kind of side side venture or you get there and there's kind of a hollowness in it. Right. And it's that connection to process, that self-referral connection to the process of doing it. That's really powerful. And what yeah. I just listened to you say for those listening is the whole thing that resonated with you in this last Olympics was your connection to process. So it didn't really matter what happened in the end. Right. It was wonderful that it all worked out, yeah. but you were connected to that process deeply. So you could reflect back on it and say that that was really powerful. And that's absolutely right. And I think you'll, when you chat with Tessa, um, she'll have a very interesting insight on that hollowness of when you um, accomplish your goals. And uh, I think she felt the weight of that many times in our career and in particular the 2012 world title. Um, it just wasn't at all what she had envisioned it being like. And we're very lucky to have had these three cycles because we've learned very, very different lessons at each of them. Um, but when we came back and you were a part of our team um, and our, and JF Menard, um, our mental coach as well, when we came back, our first message was we want, we're doing it for the process. We're not done. We want to feel the rush of, of competing, but also we want to see what we can do to push ourselves to train differently and, and 
be the best that we can be, but in training, not to win titles. Um, and our team constantly remind us, reminded us that in two years. And then at the Olympics, a really interesting thing happened when we went to compete, we took it in a very similar fashion because a lot of people know the pressure that comes with such a huge event is the, the natural human instinct is you want to just get through it. You just want it to be done. You just want to be on the finish line. But to, for us, a big part of these games, we're not to trying to push that aside and really be present. And we kept saying to each other in the moments before we skated that this is exactly what we wanted. We came back for these moments. Let's not wish them away. Let's take advantage of them. And kind of being present in that process, I think, was what was different between us and our competitors. Mm-hmm. What, did you, what have you learned most about yourself between gold medal one and gold medal two? <laughs> oh, my gosh. How do I narrow that down? Well, we got got a little bit of time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you have enough time for that. I'm just trying to think of all the, they were such, I look back at those. Well, I'll frame it. I'll frame it differently for you. If you went back to the guy in 2010 and you're facing him right now, what would you say to him? I don't even know if we could have a conversation. (laughs) I love, I do love that guy. Um, And I, when I look back at kids that remind me of, of 2010, Scott, it just makes me laugh. Um, I just think you have no clue and you think you do. And that's the joys of being 22. And um, a lot of the coaches or judges even will say like, Oh, here's this kid coming up. You know, he's cocky. You, you've got to go and tell him, you got to tell him and advise him and get him away from that. And I just say, no, that's not part of it. He's got to, he's got to kind of walk his own course. And um, I think that's a lot of the magic of it. Uh, but the difference between 2010 and 2018 for me, cause I was probably more confident on the ice than I'd ever been, but it, it was more sincere and mm. it was, it was confidence from preparation and confidence because we really believed in our material and, and confidence just because we wanted to share what we love to do with the world. And, um, I think there's a sincerity to that. And we've gotten some great feedback from, from Canadians across the country, from people, ice skating fans around the world. The people really connect to that and you can't really fake that. And I think in 2010, we were playing characters and we were so young and innocent and still love to skate. And I mean, we're in our home country, so how could it not be magical? But there was a sincerity. I think that this 2018 experience has very different. That's awesome. How do you transcend um, that now going forward in your life to what you want to do this whole, this whole process, this whole growth experience, this, this whole being, you know, achieving something that you really wanted to achieve. What do you, what do you take from that? And how do you leap forward? Well, this is a very actually interesting time in my life. Uh, the couple of months after the Olympics, um, what I've reflected on and the big reason why I came back was how poorly I transitioned after 2014. Um, I wanted away from the sport. Um, I went and a lot of people don't know. I went and tried to, what tried to, we're still in the process of renovating a house with my brother. So the most fulfilling work in my world, but, and I was also running from, from sport, from my life, from figure skating. Um, and I didn't transition well. I was doing things that didn't make me happy. Um, I was, you know, like I lived my 18 year old life at 26. I was drinking a lot. Um, that was, and it didn't, it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't what made me happy. So this part of my life, this kind of six months or two years after, after the 2018 Olympics were actually the time that I had circled, um, 
for most improvement. You know, I was always, when I'm in as an athlete, I'm always all in. Um, I really enjoy that process, but it's the transition part. And it, and it is about kind of not making the most of that, but also bringing my best self, everything I've learned in sport to the next chapter of my life. And the next chapter of my life for the short term will be show skating. Um, we really are excited about, about the show that we're doing right now. The stars on ice that's going across Canada. We really would like to create something that goes into smaller cities, uh, not just the 12 major markets in Canada, uh, but something that is, is art. And we want to pour work into that. And Tessa and I, what we've found about ourselves and in our kind of our chats and our next steps is that we love to work mm. and we love to be involved in projects where we can be all in, um, doing kind of skating shows where we just walk out, do our two minutes and leave it wasn't enough for us. So we're trying to create a platform where we can be all in, create an experience for, for the fans. And uh, that would be kind of the short term. And then I'm looking to kind of give back what we've learned and when working with, you know, B210 and professionals that most people don't have the access to and creating kind of a system that takes care of younger athletes a bit better um, in the way that they come up and talent identification, as well as uh, making sure that our elite athletes aren't just getting by because they're successful. You know, I want to help them push themselves to the next level because this is the biggest thing I learned in 2017, 2018 is I thought I knew what I was doing in 2010. I thought I knew what it took to be a champion and I was a champion and we did win the Olympics, but I wasn't a professional in my preparation and the same thing with 2014. And we upped it. Uh, we were much more into our mechanics. We started to see a psychologist, but that pales in comparison with the preparation, the types of, professionals that we worked with in 2018 and i think that the skating world and and even most of the athletic world has to remember to keep pushing themselves and i want to kind of give that back so that'll be kind of my long-term goals and for me how do i parlay it that's a good question but i like to work so i have to keep myself going or else i will just kind of hang out on the couch what do you source or who do you source for call it feedback or the, the opportunity to sort of bounce where you want to go or, or what you're struggling with in your life? Uh, there's a lot of people now, um, but I will, I mean, it's been pretty crazy with this tour, but I will, I will continue to work with my mental coach. We've had a really great personal connection. Um, and I think that uh, the work that we've done and the goals that he set, he, he would be great to help me moving forward. Um, it's having a mental coach or a psychologist is an interesting thing for many people and not, not many athletes. A lot of the top athletes do it, but people think it's too expensive for me. It's, it's the most, it's worth it. Like it's, it's the thing that it's like a mattress. You can't like, you can't cheap out on that because you're going to spend so much of your life. And then half an hour with, with my mental coach, JF, I, I mean, it changes my whole perspective on, on the next month of my life. So I'll continue to work with him, but I also use people like I'm lucky to have Tessa. I can bounce ideas off Tessa. And then, um, I will continue to use my team, uh, some really great friends, some mentors that I really respect. One being my coach, Patrice Ozon. Uh, I still bounce things off him and, I just try and create a network of people um, that I can pick up the phone and call at any time. And I hope that they feel that they can do the same with me. That's awesome. 
Um, you mentioned your mental coach. I mean, for those listening, J.F. Menard is a very talented uh, mental performance guy that I met uh, numerous years ago, and we got uh, more and more involved in co- common projects. Um, mm-hmm. What do you feel that, like, you've probably bounced into sports psych before in your career at different points. What was it about J.F. that really um, re- um, resonated in you and helped you see the, the light that you just expressed about the value of it? Well... That's a great, that's a great question. And I was pretty fortunate in my career to work with professionals, but most of the time it was all about managing Tessa and I's relationship. Mm -hmm. And we don't have, and most people know this, but we don't have an off ice romantic relationship, but we do work together many hours a day. And we have an extremely intense personal relationship that can't be compared to any other relationship because it's so intense and because of the nature of what we do on the ice. Um, and we love to skate together. So a lot of the love that people see on the ice is real to a certain extent. Um, so we spend a lot of time doing marriage counseling, doing kind of management of that just because of the the pure hours that we put in communicating, understanding. I think we're some of the best in the world uh, of ice dancers for communicating, but it's still something we have to work on. And we communicate. It's it's not just because you work on communication. That's going to be good forever. I mean, we communicate, better at different times. So we're trying to constantly work on that uh, in order to be successful in what we're trying to do. But then when we started to work with JF, not only were we managing that a little bit, we started to work on performance um, and, and how to perform, not just at a competition, uh, but how to perform every day, how to, how to be as, as efficient as possible. Um, you know, he talked a lot about reminding people and, in our life that are doing a good job. And, and I mean, a lot of it comes down to communication, but not leaving the chance uh, and, and taking advantage of every moment of every day. It was a huge thing that JF did with us. And then when we did kind of get to competing, it, it, we had a formula and, and we perfected it. Every time we went out, we tweaked it, we'd communicate afterwards. And by the time we got to the Olympics, we just, we just knew what the steps were. Hmm. And uh, as a performer, to not have to think uh, and to just find the comfort in that routine, I think was one of our strongest assets at the, at the Pyeongchang games. What are a couple of tools that you learned that when you look at performance in general, not just, you know, sport performance, but in life mm-hmm. performance, you know, to the listeners out there, th- you th- think are really valuable things, skills to know. Well, the, to biggest one, the biggest one that comes back to me uh, right away is queuing. So, um, I have a crazy mind. Anyone that's ever worked with me, like I am super emotional. I'm super passionate. Um, but I also can go off in 18 different directions. And what we started to work on with, with JF was making sure that we're queuing, um, with simple cues, but what we're, with what we're supposed to be thinking of. So a lot of times, uh, in a skater's performance, they'll think about having a four minute program clean. And, uh, first of all, perfection doesn't really, it doesn't exist and uh, it's probably not going to win you an Olympic medal. It, it hasn't in the history, uh, but you can be really excellent. And the way you get to be really excellent is having these moments of, of simple cues along the way. And I would have moments in a program when I would think about the twizzles that were coming up maybe in 30 seconds. And I would think, Oh, perfect. There's my cue to remember what my actual cue is supposed to be right now, whether that's bending my knees, whether that's looking at Tessa or, or kind of breathing through it or exploding. And, um, that cueing 
probably was the most important thing because I used to think in programs, oh, oh crap, I'm not thinking about the, the right thing right now. And then I kind of start to freak out and snowball. Instead, I would just use that as a simple cue and bring us back and off we go. And the other thing um, that we talked about was just believing in, in our, perfor- our performance, believing in our training. And uh, our, one of our sayings at the games was just get to the opening position. Because once we get to the opening position, we'll know what to do. And that kind of took a lot of the anxiety away. I mean, not a, not all of it. We were still, um, we had the butterflies. We were terrified, um, but in a controlled way. Those are probably the biggest ones. I like the uh, the queuing piece because... We stole that from Mick, by the way. <laughs> we, stole lot, we stole a lot from studying Mick. It was, it was pretty neat to, because, I mean, Mick worked with you and Mick worked with JF. And um, we would study him and... Uh, I mean, this kid who performs more consistently, more often, like, and more often he competes all the time and he's consistent more than anyone else in the world. And um, when he won in, in Pyeongchang, that was a huge confidence boost to me. All I could sit there and think was, that's my team. That's like, I know who works with that kid and he works, they work with me. And like, there's no way these other kids are going to beat me. One of the reasons why I'm, I'm interviewing you and other great performance athletes that I've worked with is, and this is kind of where the, that the rubber meets the road on this conversation to me is a lot of people don't recognize that they spend a lot of time in their life doing things that have absolutely no connection to what it is they really purposely want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's fine to sort of fritter away time from time to time, but a lot of people will say, I'm busy. I don't have time. I don't have energy. Da, da, da. They don't recognize where they spend a lot of their time, energy and effort on things that are really not taking them where they want to go. Right. And what you just talked about was essentially focusing and understanding what it is you want to do mm-hmm. and becoming very dialed into, is this contributing to that or is it not? And if it's not, well, you've really got to think about why you're doing it. Right. You know, and that's, that's, that's high value. And that was a, a lot of, it, even when we, when we built our, our office program, I mean, we were doing the time, like we built a lot in April and May, but we were doing a ton of things that I would say, well, what about this? And you would just say, does that make you a better ice dancer? It's like, okay, well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense for me to, to bench press when I don't have to bench press. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to talk a, a lot about uh, the two of you, to, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you alone, but I am curious what you feel Tessa balances in, you, in, your, in your character. What are, what, are you, what are your counterbalances for one another? Well, I don't, it's... I can tell you what I, what I see in Tessa. I'm not so sure that I, I, I don't have a very, uh, I don't know. I don't have a great view on myself. I got, I don't think my perspective is as good, but on her, what, what I need from her and what she brings, um, I've never met anybody like Tessa in my life. Like I have this, she's such an unbelievable woman and she's so, I've never met someone so consistent. Um, I can't remember more than like, like she can get grumpy, but that's about it. I would never go past the grumpy stage. Um, the problem with us is that we're very, very sensitive. So when she's grumpy, I always think it's my fault. And when I'm a little, I get to the angry stage. So she thinks it's her fault. But what she does is she's so consistent, but passionate. I, I don't quite understand how that works because my passion and emotion is always kind of a roller coaster ride. But she brings this level of consistent and clear headed thinking and decision making but as well as that passion and movement. And I really needed that consistency because I would, I would go up and down and, and she would kind of bring me back and be like, okay, we need like, 
maybe that's a little bit much or, or kind of that balance point. And we're, we, <laughs> we're very different styles. I mean, Tessa brings the sophistication that they don't have. Um, Tessa brings the dance knowledge, the um, kind of that base, the, the principles of dance that, that I just don't possess. And uh, there's just so much that technically uh, we rely on her for, but I think that her biggest part is, is how emotionally stable she is. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to wrap this puppy up with one uh, final question. And that is uh, when you, when you look forward to all of us are going to perish from this lovely planet at some point, what would you like to be remembered for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the biggest thing that I always think about, uh, like I, I had a really good friend who passed away last year and I did a lot of thinking about that, you know, like we, this, what is the whole purpose of this? How far along does it go? And yeah, what is my legacy? Um, for me, I think I always say I want to be remembered as a good person. And you know, Tesla will probably say the same thing because that's what we always say in interviews. Um, but I, I think what I want to be remembered for is my passion and, and not being afraid to go after something. Um, I think failure is, is something that I know that everyone says, fear of failure. Don't be scared to fail and you have to go after it. But few people actually do that. You know, I, and, and I don't, I want to be one of those people who, you know, maybe loses their shirt or goes after something that's a little crazy, but lives in that rush and, and kind of lives with that excitement. That's what I want to be ready for. Scott, thank you for taking you, so much time with me. I appreciate it very much. I hope I wasn't too long with your time. No, I've never, man. I'll do that for two hours. Awesome. Appreciate you, it. Man. Have a good one. Buddy. Cheers. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.